You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're so close to baseball being back. but On, on the tips of our fingers. Oh, but the stinking weather. The, the place where you would at least expect a rain delay to happen. I've, I've said it on this show before, but you know you're from Seattle when rain has the ability to ruin your day even when it's not in Seattle. Yeah. And Somehow. Yeah, it looks like the Mariners Cactus League opener against the Padres. It's going to have a tough time getting going, but hopefully, fingers crossed, we can hear the popping of a mitt, the smack of a bat, just <sighs> anything. I'm I'm craving it, Lydia. Me too. We, there was a lot of discussion. What is the best sound from spring training this week? Do you have a preference? Is it the mitt? Is Ooh. it the cleats across the cement. concrete? Yeah. I added the like sprinkler in there. That's a good one. It's more that one's more of a great complimentary sound. It's not really like a standalone. I like the cleats against the dirt. Me too. You get that crunch too. That's a really good one. Yeah. But we're we're just so close. And yet it still feels so far away. Hopefully, coming up at noon today, we'll hear some baseball. We'll hear Rick Riz, those familiar familiar voices of the summer around here, Aaron Goldsmith. But, uh, yeah, Mariners baseball is so close to getting back underway. But uh, it, it's right here. And there were games yesterday going on, mm-hmm. watching that on MLB Network. There's... I'll admit you know, it. I watched. I watched the Boston Red Sox versus a collegiate team. I'm yeah, that person. Yeah, it was like Northeastern University yeah. or something. North uh, North Illinois or I don't know. One I'll of take those. It. Yeah, I'll take it. We're junkies. <laughs> I know. Get us that fix. But this is Seattle Sports Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined by Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs. He is out this week. He's all the way across the world yeah. over in Israel. Hanging so, out. Wedding time. Yeah. Fam. Dressed to the nines. We miss him, but, you know, live it up. Have yeah. fun, Tay. You, you don't get those kinds of opportunities every now and then. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's a tremendous, tremendous thing him and his family are doing this week and also next week, too. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot to get to today. We've got Mariners baseball weather permitting coming up at noon Seahawks making big moves this week, bringing in a very familiar name to NFL fans. Also, the Dragons, they have their second home game in a row, looking to go to 2-1, and one, looking to take over second place in the Western Conference of the XFL. Uh, but, yeah, the Mariners, you know, there's so much with this team right now that is unknown, I think, to a lot of people. And you kind of are in this spot where it's like, okay, what what can I grasp onto right now that will carry me through the 2020 season. I think there are a lot of things that fans can look forward to with this team. Obviously, the record's not going to be what we, you know, had hoped it would be. You know, they're probably going to be in that 65 to 70 win range again this season. But I think there are a lot of aspects with this team that we can look at. We're going to look at them uh, multiple times throughout the day today, coming up at like 9:45 and the 11 o'clock hours. We get you set for hopefully Mariners baseball, but. I think there are a lot of aspects of this team that can really, you know, you can hang your hat on this season. You're going to get a look at some players that you haven't seen before that you've just heard talk about, especially in spring training, unless you're, you know, a weirdo junkie like us and you've got an MILB subscription and you're watching some of the uh, lower levels. We don't judge. No, there is zero judgment here. But I think, yeah, that's fun. And I think to watch the core ascend together uh, some of those players, they'll be at spring training, so we'll get to see them in the lineups, but not at the major league level yet. 
we're talking the Jared Kelnicks, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilberts, Cal Rallies of the world, and they're trying to build that core so that they move through the minors together and that they will one day have that chemistry that they've built up over a couple of seasons playing together uh, when they get here. And I think that's going to be fun to watch, too. It is. And a core group of guys, a young core group of guys, is something that this Mariners organization I don't think it's had since maybe the days of Griffey Buner, Edgar, Randy. Yeah. Uh, you could even throw Alex Rodriguez in there as well. I mean, all those guys were in their you know early to mid twenties, kind of all when they came up to the big leagues. Alex Rodriguez's case, he was only eighteen years old. Uh, but I think right now the Mar- I'm not saying that what the Mariners have right now is comparable to that, but to inject some youth into this organization that has been desperately needing that. Uh, over the last couple decades, uh, you know, hey, the Mariners, are, at least they're up front with what they're doing. They haven't been trying to hide behind, you know, you know these splashy free agent signings like, hey, this will get you out to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. No, this has been, they've been up front about their process through all of this. And uh, today, year number two Let's of go. this rebuild uh, could, could be getting underway coming up at noon. But what we've got going on in this hour, Michael Bumpus and Dave Wyman, they will join us or they will join Lydia, as uh, they preview the Dragons-Renegades game coming up later today. That game kicks off at 2 p.m., but uh, let's get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. The Seahawks added their very first free agent of the offseason, picking up veteran tight end Greg Olson on a one-year $5.5 million deal, possibility of earning up to $7 million with incentives. Olson comes to the Seahawks after spending eight years catching passes for the Panthers. He visited Washington and Buffalo before deciding on the Seahawks to likely close out his playing career. 35-year-old, he had a bounce-back year in 2019 after missing most of the 2017 and 18 seasons with foot injuries. Olsen finished with 52 receptions and nearly 600 yards receiving. This was with Will Greer and Kyle Allen throwing passes to him this season. (laughs) A step down from Russell Wilson. It's never bad to give Russell Wilson more weapons to play with. The tight end room now featuring a healthy Greg Olson, a possibly healthy Will Disley by week one. We'll get into a little bit more of that. And Jacob Hollister, that definitely will grab the attention of Seattle's 2020 opponents. And maybe, just maybe, the Seahawks will let Russell Wilson cook. Number two. I like that. Hey, we're hearing some uh, let Brandon Silvers cook chants already. But... um, Last week, not Brandon Silver's best, although they did get the win against the Tampa Bay, Viper, Tampa Bay Vipers. And this weekend, the 1-1 one one Dragons taking on the 1-1 one one Dallas Renegades in the most important or at least meaningful matchup to date at CenturyLink Field. Kickoff for that, 2 p.m. on Fox. So our own Brock Hewer going to be on the sidelines for that broadcast along with Joel Klatt and Kurt Menefee. But it's the Dragons' first divisional game, so it's big time. Fans, we need you today. They have an opportunity to make some headway when it comes to their playoff hopes down the line because the top two teams from each division uh, will will square off. And the Houston Roughnecks are already 2-0. They look really good. So a win today would mean keeping uh, themselves in the top two of the division for the Dragons. Both teams here, both the Dragons and the Renegades, got their first win in franchise history last week after they struggled in their respective uh, openers. Starting QB Landry Jones for the Renegades made his first appearance after being out week one with an injury. Had a rough start to the game, but ended up still passing for over 300 yards and a touchdown to go along with two interceptions. The Renegades putting up 444 yards of total offense. Bob Stoops and company making that happen. So this is going to be the toughest test 
for the Dragons' defense, which has so far been the brightest spot, uh, the most uh, phenomenal part of that team. And it feels good to have a really dominant defense in Central Link Field and to hear things get loud. Feels so, right. Yeah, it just feels right. So hopefully we'll see that again today, kickoff at 2 p.m. Number three. Weather permitting, and boy, it's not looking great right now. The Mariners <laughs> no. will be playing actual games for the better part of the next eight-plus months, starting hopefully today, if not maybe tomorrow. The entire team has reported for camp, though, this week, including Mitch Haniger, still making his way back from the third surgery he has had since last June. He had the testicular surgery. He also had a abductor muscle repair. And then he also had a disc surgery. Herniated disc in his back. It's been a rough go of it for Mitch uh, over the last about six, seven months. We'll hear from him and uh, what he had to say to the media at Peoria earlier this week about his recovery from all of those procedures. Also in camp, Dee Gordon, who arrived late after the birth of his first kid. Shout out to Dee and his wife on the... uh, the birth of their first child. Congratulations to them. Mariners, they will have a bullpen day right out of the gate in their Cactus League opener. Nestor Cortez, a lefty who made 33 appearances for the Yankees in 2019. He will take the mound first for Seattle today, if not today, probably tomorrow. Opening day, only a month away. I love it. I am ready for it. March 26th, right at T-Mobile Park, Mariners Rangers. Uh, And, yeah, it's real life. Baseball's back. Oh, I can hear Dave Niehaus's words in in my ear right now, in my <laughs> head. Welcome back, baseball. Makes the hair on your neck stand ah. up. Yeah. Uh, some other honorable mentions this week. I guess this is more of a dishonorable mention. The Huskies, nine straight losses. <sighs> I mean, it's it's a rough go. And through it all, Isaiah Stewart still still getting his buckets. doing Isaiah Stewart things. I think he set the freshman record for rebounds. And something else this week. So he is still playing. Yeah, he's incredible. probably going to be a first-team All-Pac-12 player, maybe a freshman All-American. What may, which makes it all the more frustrating, knowing where he and Jaden McDaniels are going to go in the draft and that they are three games behind the Cougs, did you mention? Yeah, three games behind the Cougs for 11th place in the Pac-12. And it makes you kind of wonder, did we not take Quade Green's value you know did we not value him enough because ever since he was ruled academically ineligible they've won one game since then and maybe he was sort of the guy that kept it all together but yeah i mean you gotta wonder like you know where's the depth that needed this is year three of mike hopkins program so most of these guys in the program are people that he recruited i think just sam timmons is the only regular Mm -hmm. that isn't somebody he brought to seattle so very just a strange season that I think has left everyone with a, a bitter taste in their mouth because you come off two years in a row winning the Pac-12 Coach of the Year, making it to the second round of the NCAA tournament a year ago. You know those are forward progressing milestones that mm-hmm. a program makes, and this year has just it's all fallen apart. And yeah. hopefully, year four. Uh, they're, they can get back to where we saw them the last couple of years. I think they will, and I think we'll see what Coach is made of that next year because having a struggle like this, it it's that, going through that adversity, that's when you really see the caliber uh, of Coach, and I think Ho- Coach Hop will rebound. Yeah. Also, the Seahawks, they will reportedly expect Will Disley to be healthy by Uncle week will. one. Tom Pelissero, the NFL Network, he had that scoop this week. And then uh, in some – Odd news here, mm-hmm. but it's not odd when you consider who it's about. Marshawn Lynch, 
He will have a, quote, substantial role in season three of HBO's Westworld. I have not watched the show, but I, I've heard it's kind of a wild ride. It's a wild ride, uh, literally in the Wild West for some of it, but you should get caught up, see, Raj, yeah. if only so. We've got till March 15th, I believe, season three premiere, so right. you've got till March because if it only for the dramatic acting skills of one Marshawn Lynch, you need to get in on the show. Hopefully it goes better than that biopic that Marshawn Lynch made about himself. I haven't seen it. Maybe that's part there of the problem. There are trailers of it on, on the internet. And <laughs> let me tell you, it is, it, you'll never forget it. Coming up in this hour, Michael Bumpus, Dave Wyman, they join Lydia to talk about the Dragons-Renegades game coming up at 2 o'clock to, later today. But Greg Olson, he is officially a Seahawks. What does the 35-year-old veteran have left in the tank for Seattle? We talk that here on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Greg Olson, officially a Seattle Seahawk. Kind of felt like everything was pointing to that happening because, I mean, you look at Washington and Buffalo. Buffalo was a playoff team a year ago, but Josh Allen? Josh Allen against Russell Wilson against Dwayne Haskins. Who do you want throwing the ball to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you've got the coaching connections in both those cities and you've got some comfortability, but I think it comes down to number three. Oh, yeah. And also the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Clearly the Seahawks are the team of those three that are way closer to that goal. And there's just more parity. It feels more possible in in the NFC, and you're not going up against Baltimore, the Chiefs, that Pat for Mahomes, the next couple yeah. of years are going to be great. And you know Belichick will have his resurgence as Yes, well. and so the Seahawks, they bring in Greg Olson on a one-year, $5.5 million deal, uh, opportunity to make up to $7 million over the course of the 2020 season. What is Olsen's biggest value to the Seahawks right now? Is it on the field or is it in the locker room? Because this is somebody who widely is respected across the NFL. There, I've never heard a bad word said about Greg Olsen, the person. Um, he's, you know, I believe he was like a Walter Ma- Walter Payton Man of the Year candidate mm-hmm. for Carolina. Does a lot of charity work with his son. Yeah, and uh, you know, he's just a really stand-up guy. When you look at Olsen, where do you think he contributes most to the Seahawks? Well, I I don't think it, it's a sentimental deal or anything by any means that they're still expecting production out of him. But I liked one of Danny O'Neill's points this week was that it might not be the measurables. It might not be X amount of catches or receptions that you look to on paper. It just might be in key clutch situations, uh, first and third downs. It might be in the red zone, sort of like Jimmy Graham coming in and being so clutch in the red zone, just that person that Russell Wilson knows he could go to and has that connection with, then yes, of course, you get the benefit of his leadership in the locker room. I think you have a couple of offensive leaders, obviously Russ, but Dwayne Brown too up front is a a very recognizable leader. So I don't think by any means you need someone to come and replace that or add too much of an extra voice. But I do think on the receiver side, there has been so much turnover that just having, you know, since the departure of Doug Baldwin, it hasn't been like a, you know, truly older guy to sort of advise. And 
yeah, I think Greg Olson would add to that. It's interesting how in the last couple of years we've seen the defense have a lot of the vocal guys, the Sherms, the Earls, the Michael Bennett's, all that. Because defense and, just lends itself to yeah, that, too, it's to attitude. you got to be aggressive to play on that side of the ball. But now on the offensive side, when I look at the leadership the Seahawks have, I think most of it comes from those guys. Obviously, you've got Bobby and KJ still on the defense. But on offense, you've got Russ, you've got Dwayne Brown, you've got Tyler Lockett, Marshawn, if he comes back. I mean, he's clearly a leader. Mm-hmm. He was a leader for the three weeks he was here. You've got Greg Olson now, who has been through the ringer. He's played in, in, in a Super Bowl before. He's He knows what it's like to catch 1,000 yards in a season. Did it three times with Carolina. I mean, there are they're not hurting for leadership in that offensive room. And I wonder if the defense will be able to find – pieces like that, guys who have the commanding personalities, guys who have that that personality where it's like, follow me, like I'm I'm ready to go. And, you know, it, it's weird how the Seahawks have kind of flipped the script almost in what they were under the early years of Pete Carroll to what they are now, and I think that is an offensively driven team. Yeah, it just feels strange to say that, but I think you're right, C-Rodge, too, because to have a – you do have Bobby – who is definitely a leader on this team and maybe not as vocal as some of those ones in the past. But I also think that's a good thing because it leads to less friction a lot of times. And this is Russ's team at the end of the day. That's the way that the team, they've wanted it to be. So he should be the, the biggest presence there. And I think Greg Olson is someone that has a decent amount of competitive intensity. If you watch the All or Nothing series with the Carolina Panthers, you saw uh, how hard he is on himself or how he takes a loss. Like he has a he has some deep competitive intensity, but he also is a fun-loving guy that will rally the troops in the locker room. I think that gels really well with Russ. I think so too. And you know, uh, Eugene Robinson, who is an analyst for the Carolina Panthers radio network. He joined uh, Bob David Moore earlier this week and talked about what kind of guy Olsen is in the locker room and on the field. Well, I'll tell you what, he, first of all, he's a, a good locker room guy, so the locker room becomes even that much more solidified because he's he's a team player, no doubt about that. And then I think what he really excels at is his ability to run routes. He's always been a mess at route running and then catching the ball, always seemed to, to get open. Yeah, so, I mean, just – Great locker room guy, great route runner in Greg Olson. Uh, you look at the the young tight ends that the Seahawks have. Will Disley, who is entering his third season but hasn't ever played a full season. Jacob Hollister, I think, is also entering his third season. Um, we don't know what the future of Luke Wilson is going to be. We don't know what Ed Dixon's future is going to be. Likely, probably going to be a cap casualty. But I look at what Olsen brings to that tight end group. Yeah, he may not be able to play a full season, but that's a group that I think could use some veteran leadership in there. I think maybe it is what they wanted Ed Dixon to be because they kind of yeah. wanted him to be that veteran leader, and it's too— Just it's, never got healthy. Exactly. He's been hampered by injuries for two years. It's unfortunate that that didn't happen, but now you get that presence. I think it's a win-win for both sides. Did you feel, though, C-Rodge, when you looked at the figure— were you upset? Did you think that was a little high? Yeah. So I thought five and a half million was probably the highest I would go for Greg Olson. And I think it was pointed out it was either I think it was either Paul or, or Danny earlier this week who said look at that five and a half to seven million dollars and look at it through the lens of if they cut Ed Dixon, 
that frees up three million. So really, it's about a four million dollar deal for Greg Olson, which isn't so bad. That's much more palatable than I think. You know, if you got him for more than seven million dollars, if you were paying him eight nine million for a guy who may not even be your starting tight end if everybody's healthy. Uh, but I look at what the Seahawks are getting for Greg Olson. I think five and a half million dollars plus the incentives is a fair deal for what he brings to an organization. When viewed in the context also of yeah. what else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And he's going to be extremely motivated mm-hmm. because he wants to get back to that Super Bowl or get that Super Bowl win that's eluded him. And he's on that 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 cusp of becoming a full time broadcaster. And I think you're going to get someone who's really motivated to stay healthy, to stay on the field, and to give you everything he's got because it could be his last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what you know, Greg Olson's 35 years old. That's in football years. That is at the very end. Like you're, you don't see guys playing too often into their late 30s and early 40s, unless you're Tom Brady or Drew Brees, which. I mean, those guys are such anomalies, you know, and how they've been able to stay healthy throughout most of their careers and really even come back from catastrophic injuries that both of them suffered. But, uh, you know, Greg Olson, he's 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 excited to be here, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's already a connection between him and Russ. They were tweeting out on social <laughs> media at the Super Bowl, you know, meeting up. And, you know, who knows if that's what that meetup was about. Like, hey, come come to Seattle, man. Like, you still got it. Like, we, we, we got you. We'll, we I feel need like you. Russ doesn't even have to sell it too much. He's just like, just like, come. Here I am. Uh, here's, here's me. Here's a photo of Josh Allen. And then here's me. Uh, door one, door two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the Seahawks right now, this is a very great start to their offseason. They haven't taken any L's yet. And hopefully they continue on this path. The, the next biggest hurdle is going to be, well, we've got the Combine next week, mm-hmm. which begins tomorrow, actually, in Indianapolis. That's when the players report. Which means we also get to hear, typically, from Schneider and from Carroll. Yeah. Uh, they will take to the podium. I believe they might even be joining John Clayton Ooh. at some point this next week. So. Inside info. Yeah, so stay locked for that. Um, but, yeah, we'll hear a lot of what I think the Seahawks are planning on doing this offseason, what their intentions are for Jadevian Clowney, because, I mean, that – that is the number one thing this offseason. That's what this entire offseason will be centered around, whether or not the Seahawks can keep him. And if they don't keep him, how are they going to be able to replicate that production and do it at a, a number that isn't going to cripple them financially moving forward? And I don't think that this move, bringing in Olsen for $5.5 million, is going to take away any extra cash they have. Might re- they might have reserved for Clowney. Yeah. I'll be looking forward, like you mentioned, to that because uh, again, Jay Reed too. Yeah, uh, up he's in the also air and coming up for, back and and Jadevian Clowney now one of their, uh, uh, I would say biggest, their biggest offseason priority. Coming up next, Liddy, you had a chance to sit down earlier this week with Michael Bumpus and Dave Wyman to preview today's Dragons Renegades game going on at CenturyLink Field at 2 p.m. Uh, we will bring you that conversation coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Right now, I'm joined by two Seattle legends in the house. Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus joining me. How are you guys? Wow. 
You really know how to intro somebody. Let's go. Thanks, Lydia. I, mean, <laughs> I tell facts, Dave. Just facts here. Dave's the legend. I'm, I, was, I was the guy who was there for a little bit. They're downplaying it. No. 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 <laughs> Both of you, though, in the house, Battle Dragon's home opener. Can you tell me your initial thoughts? What was it like being there Saturday? A little part of history. It was really fun for me. I don't know about you, Bump, but usually we're going there and we've got our parking pass and we're the media, you know, people and you, you can, you know, get right to the front of the line and go and sit in the booth and everything. It was kind of fun going in as a fan. Now, I did wait in a beer line for a little bit too long, <laughs> but it was I took my son with me and we just had a blast. And a lot of it outside the stadium looking at uh, like the grown men dressed up in dragon suits. Let's and go. Things. <laughs> Looked like their moms uh, made it. You know, it looked like a, a Halloween costume, but no, it was it was great seeing that and getting in there. And I've said this from the beginning: it's good football. It's really good football. I don't know about you, Bump. I I think that the one thing that can improve and will improve. And I, I got a chance to talk to Oliver Luck about this because I screamed at him like a wild maniac <laughs> and made him come over and talk to me. But um, we both kind of agreed that the quarterback play will get better. It will get yeah. better. But you know. Right now, that's the one thing maybe that's lacking a little bit, and you can see that certainly in the stats. But um, some of the defensive stuff that I've seen, the way that the especially the Dragons have played, have been very impressed. Yeah, my my thing was I'm walking up to the stadium, and it felt like an important game. You know, if if the crowd wasn't behind it, the fans weren't into it. You have a different feel walking up to the stadium, and I'm walking in, and there's a buzz going about about it. You know, mm-hmm. guys have. Uh, their jerseys on, like Dave said, I've seen a couple of dragons out there. <laughs> you know, I, I went across the, the street to a pub, had a beer, and people are super excited about it. And so my initial reaction was, okay, then you get in the stadium, and it, I mean, 30,000 people sounded like 60,000 people. It was loud in there. So the atmosphere was great. And then you look at the um, just the play in general. I'm with Dave. Um, quarterback play needs to get better, and it will. People forget they didn't have OTAs. They didn't have a mini camp. They didn't have all these weeks preparing them for the season. So right. I believe it will get better. I love what they're doing on defense. They blitzed the heck out of the um, the Tampa Bay that weekend. And that's I think that's what Seattle fans want to see is a lot more blitzing. And, and that's what we saw. And then plays were being made. You know, there was a pick six by Tampa Bay. I know it unfortunately it was against the Dragons, but that was still a good football play. He caught the rock, made a guy miss, took it 70 yards. And then Keenan Reynolds, a guy who was on the practice squad for the Seahawks, had a 68-yard touchdown. There was a pick six. It was like every football play was made out there, and it was fun to see. Atmosphere was great. Then you surround yourself with a 710 crew, man. It was a great day. Let's go. <laughs> Can't complain. What do you think really changed in the second half for the Dragons? Because pretty stagnant to begin with going into halftime. What did you see in the second half that you didn't see in the first half? Well, I, I think they just started executing a little bit better. Uh, there was a long stretch of time when uh, between Brandon Silver's completions in the first quarter and the second quarter, I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes I counted, and, and he started hitting his spots. And you could hear on – so I taped the game and went home and watched it because it's a great TV product. And and I wouldn't say it's better just because the Seahawks – or um, the, the Dragon home crowd is so electric, like Michael was saying, but you could hear um, – uh, Zorn talking to his quarterback, Brandon Silvers, about this. He's like, okay, I, I think he could have got six yards here, which he's right. I mean, he could have ran it and got six yards and then come up with like a manageable third and four. And then he says, you know, you made a great play. You just got to make that throw. So I, I love hearing the coaching part of it, and I love hearing the officials, how they talk through it, yeah. you know. So, um, but, yeah, they just got uh, things cleaned up in the second half. And, again, like Bumpa said, you know, they – They've not played a lot of football together. So 
And that was what I did a football one-on-one thing on the very first play the Dragon defense ever played. Uh, the defenders took their tackles and split them out to the number. So it was a totally oddball formation. And they just played it. Um, I think their defensive coordinator, um, Lopez, has done a great job and coaching those guys up, and they just went out and played it. Jeremy Clark, who I really like. I Love like him, him <laughs> and the safety. Uh, Iguabuque, I think both of those guys are NFL talent. And, you know, they have linebacker Steven Johnson that's really played a lot of, you know, football in the NFL. Looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, and same thing with Cairo. So, I mean, it's fun to watch these guys and how they're they're getting coached up. But I think, you know, the second half of that game, I think the second half of the season, the football is just going to get better and better. Yeah, I agree. I think the second half, the coaches did a great job. First half, they said, Silvers, you go out and win the ball game for us. He wasn't getting it done. What did they do? They start running the ball. I think they had three running backs with 10 carries or more. And that just shows that they're not afraid to mix it up. You kind of have a lot of pressure as a new league um, to give the fans a bunch of scoring and make it exciting. But at the end of the day, you want to win ball games. And that's what the coaches did. They adjusted their game plan. They went from, okay, throwing the ball, I think like uh, 12 times in the first half or something like that, to at the end of the game, you have three backs with over 10 carries. Um, so I like the adjustments being made, and that just lets you know that they hired some good coaches. You look at the coaching staffs in this league, there are some names on there, man. Names out there. So um, I appreciated their commitment to the run, and it reminded me of a team that plays in that, in that same stadium in the fall. Right, especially when that defense is going and how loud that stadium gets and how they respond. What about running the football? You mentioned because the quarterback play has sort of been subpar so far, and we've seen a lot of the teams in the XFL that are going to run the ball have success. Will that work in the Dragons' favor because they have that three-headed monster, they call it, in the backfield running the football if Brandon Silvers is taking some time to to get the offense yeah. like uh, up to speed? Will that help them? Yeah, well, like in the early days of Russell Wilson. I, remember, I think that first year he was 24 attempts per game, and then it's been between that and up to like 34 attempts per game. So, yeah, the running game always is going to help you. Uh, Can I be a coach for a minute? Yes, please. I would put Keenan Reynolds in at quarterback and have him like a running package, you know, because Silver's struggling a little bit. I mean, again, I see the good throws he makes. He's got the potential. But um, this is a guy, Keenan Reynolds, had 88 touchdowns. Nobody's had more touchdowns in college football than he did. And, you know, that would be kind of – fun way to watch it but you bring it up Lydia I think it's it would be smart strategy right now to start running the ball a little bit take a little bit of pressure off your quarterback because you see that Tampa Bay team they blitzed like crazy too Jerry Glanville I mean they know that the quarterbacks are not smooth right now and not worked out why not just send a bunch of pressure after him so the one thing that uh, that stems that though is running the ball and next thing you know you got running backs going right past blitzing defensive linemen and linebackers yeah, and I can't wait to see what Silvers looks like once Casey Williams gets, gets back. Because I'm sure during camp, he was their number one receiver. Um, you can kind of force that kid the ball. We saw what he did with the Seahawks in the preseason. Then he went to Cleveland and had some time there. So I think they're missing their big play guy. They got a big play out of Keenan Reynolds. They have two other receivers who are pretty good. But I think once Casey Williams gets back, this offense is going to look a little different. They should continue to run the football if your quarterback is struggling, but there's nothing like having a big boy on the outside who you can just toss it up to, and that's pretty much what they're missing right now. I think I saw also on the broadcast that three of the five offensive linemen were were backups because they've had injuries. So they haven't had a chance to get a lot of continuity. So, so again, I mean, if you consider that, 
I, I think again, again, it's a it's a good brand of football. It really is. It's exciting, and you know, I felt like I was at a professional football game, not a, a gimmicky league game. Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus in studio with me. Before we get out of here, really quickly, guys, what is your favorite? If we take sort of a bird's eye view uh, element of the game to get itself, is it the rule innovations or what specific rule innovation do you really like? Yeah, I, I like um, I like listening to the officials talk through it. I find that I'm in the minority. Like we interviewed uh, Kurt Menefee. He likes the kickoff. I don't like the kickoff. Really? I mean, I know there's less touchbacks, so that's a good thing. And I like that it's punitive. If you don't kick it past the 20, the other team gets it on the 45. But I just feel like there could be more creativity. Uh, but I know mm, one of the things I don't like is I saw a penalty called for a hit uh, that the Vipers had. I, I say just let them play, yep. you know. And and I'll just go ahead and say this. I say it on every show. I, football is not a safe game. Not. So trying to make it safe is, to me, kind of a fool's errand. But, um, but yeah, that that's the one thing I guess I don't like. But I'm in the minority on that. I think everybody likes the kickoff. But to me, it's just like 10 guys blocking 10 guys. If you put a couple guys back, you could have reverses, uh, you know, throwbacks, things like that. And, you know, maybe see a little bit more excitement in the kicking game. Yeah, I like the kickoff rule. If I were to do something different with that, I would have maybe an R1 or R2. Look back and see when the returner has the ball and loop around instead of screen or something. So getting creative like you're kind of oh, talking gotcha. about. Yeah. And then I like the 25-second play clock. You you have to play fast. I think the average time was a little over three hours this weekend for, for an XFL game. NFL game, you're closer to four hours. So it just keeps people engaged. And then all the access on the sideline. I mean, you saw the uh, the quarterback from what the uh, the New York team. What was it? Oh yeah, Matt McGloin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, he's no. gonna. I'm sure he woke up and regretted that, but it was great television for that time being. So, now I appreciate yeah. it. I like what they're doing. They're pioneers. They are. They're getting away from that gimmicky feel from '99 and 2000. That's what I was worried about. It feels nothing like that. It feels like professional football. And I'm glad that guys who maybe didn't have an opportunity to play in the NFL are having a chance here just to show their skills and, and hopefully get a call up. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things. Absolutely. Michael Bumpus, Dave Wyman, Seattle Legends. Don't let them tell you anything different than that. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Lydia. Thanks, Lydia. Those guys, they're just too humble. They are too humble. You know, I, I'll call them legends. They won't say it, but oh, yeah. I can say it. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely say that behind their back. Yeah. Just get a little of those legends over there. <laughs> Stop it, guys. Uh, but it was fun to just see their genuine excitement about it. I think Dave, you know, he watches games in a professional capacity a lot of the time because you hear his voice on the Seahawks broadcast. But for him to just be in the stadium having fun watching football, especially watching a defense that's been pretty yeah. dominant, was real fun. And I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can give to a new football league is having the respect of people who have played the game before, where they view it as not a gimmick and they view it as a legit league. And, you know, to hear Dave Wyman talk about it that way, Brock Ewards on the call for the games, you know, just. You had it, Todd it, Gurley and Melvin Gordon on the sidelines yeah. of the LA game last week, too, and talking about how they loved it because it's an opportunity for guys to to get on an NFL roster. They yeah, were. I've not heard a single thing said bad about the gameplay of the league where, you know, with all the rule changes, it does look a little different than what you're expecting to see from a football game, but it's still football at its core. And, you know, for them to have, you know, what this – for them to, you know, just two weeks in and have a lot of respect of, of other players out there, I think that's a, a tremendous cool. way that the league has gotten off to. But uh, coming up next, the Mariners game, well, it's officially been called – 
but we may have caught a glimpse of what this year's lineup could look like today. We'll unpack that. Also, Mitch Haniger, his slew of injuries. When can we expect him back with this Mariners team? We get into all that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Programming note, if you were looking forward to the Mariners spring training opener, you've got even more to look forward to because it's coming your way tomorrow instead of today. Today's game rained out. Uh, The Mariners tomorrow will take on the Texas Rangers in their spring training Cactus League opener. You say Kikuchi will get the start for Seattle, uh, but that game will come your way tomorrow at noon, uh, 12.05 first pitch. Uh, we'll take the air right here at noon on Sunday. But today's game against the San Diego Padres rained out officially. It is officially official. That game will not come your way today. But we did sort of get a glimpse of what the Mariners were hoping to roll out today. They did release a lineup. They did have sort of a pitching rotation, I guess, if you want to call it that, for today. But taking a look at the lineup, it was I think it's very similar to what we could possibly see come opening day, where today's lineup had Shed Long batting leadoff, yeah, playing second base, J.P. Crawford at short, batting second, Kyle Seager third at third base, Kyle Lewis, your cleanup guy, out in uh, right field, Jake Fraley in left, batting fifth, Evan White, Sixth at first base, Tom Murphy seventh at catcher. The the two spots where you could probably see a little bit of a difference was DH and in center field. Patrick Wisdom was your DH today. Braden Bishop was going to play in center field. Those spots probably going to be Daniel Vogelback and Malik Smith during the regular season. But you look at that lineup, I think that could very well be your opening day lineup, which is interesting because teams don't normally roll that out at the very start of spring training. When you look at that, uh, you know, you've got Shedlong, who I think there are a lot of hopes for him this season. You've got J.P. Crawford, mm-hmm. year two with the Mariners. Jake Fraley, hopefully he can uh, get past those injuries that ended his season last year. Kyle Lewis, a lot of hope in his bat. But when you look at that, Lydia, what is, what jumps out to you the most in, with today's possible lineup? I think Shed Long at leadoff is really interesting. I remember uh, Scott Service talking about it earlier this week, just a couple of days ago, about putting him in at the lineup. He didn't have a lineup solidified for this game at the time, but he talked about how he found success at that position last year. Oh, maybe. Maybe if my computer plays. I don't know. Oh, maybe my uh, maybe my sound is off. No, I don't know. My computer won't play. Well, but talked about how he found success uh, there last year, and that could spell good things going forward. Um, that he's also working with Perry Hill on his defense because we that's going to be the, an area where he, he probably is looking to improve. And mm-hmm. we saw what Perry Hill did for J.P. Crawford as well. J.P. Crawford making some of the highlight-worthy plays of last year. Maybe the defensive play of the year by any it. shortstop. Yeah, say with my chest. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Der- Jerry DePoto earlier in the offseason, I think it was the pre-spring training luncheon, he talked about how Shed Long and D Gordon probably are going to switch roles where Long last year was that utility guy. This year, it could very well be D Gordon. So he's going to get a lot of the reps at second base. There will still be some for, for D. Uh, D has shown that he can play shortstop as well as second base. And I think D is willing to go out in the outfield if it means that he gets some extra reps there. I think between second base, shortstop, and, and swinging around, 
uh, as some type of utility force that D plays in, in something of a regular position. But, again, our priorities going into the season are making sure that Shed gets that experience, making sure that JP gets that experience. I think it's going to be good for Shed's development that he doesn't have sort of this, like, i got to learn all of these positions in addition to improving my bat, in addition to proving my my fielding at just one spot. I mean, this is a guy that can play everywhere on the field. I think he came up as a catcher initially in the Reds minor league system, but now he's settling into second base. D. Gordon, I think the Mariners obviously want to move him. He's got This is his last year of his contract, and if he can show some positional flexibility, that's going to improve, I think, what teams would be willing to give up for him come the trade deadline. Obviously, D. Gordon, I think, you know, He's an established major league player. He's been a starter in the big leagues for about a decade now. But he's at a point in his career where, you know, his value to this Mariners team is not in the everyday lineup. Like, he's not a part of this Mariners future. And so it'll be interesting to see how he handles that. I think he is a unique leadership presence, too, because he maybe not always the most vocal person, but he is the lead by example. He commands a lot of respect in the clubhouse. And I think that will translate. It's always difficult though, when you have to move, try to compare it to your own like career situation. It's almost a demotion of sorts or just that's what it must feel like in the moment to know that your best contribution isn't being an everyday player, when you still feel like you've got so much left in the tank, it's just how your pers- your roster works out. So I think D handled it well when he he dealt with uh, Robinson Cano coming back, and then he had to shift from center field, from second base center field, had a lot of moving parts there. He also was hampered by injuries and still maintained a good attitude through that. Yeah. He was the guy that was, after a bad game, was out at the ballpark, Hitting tees at like shots off tees. midnight. Exactly, yeah. because he wanted to improve. So I think that's a good thing to keep your eye on, though, where he probably wants to go somewhere where he is needed or perhaps could be an everyday lineup person and, and is able to compete right now because he's at that age. Yeah, and I think another thing that jumps out to me is this outfield right now. We talked about it, I think it was off the air, when we said that Mitch Haniger, his injury is going to open the door for Fraley and Bishop to get a lot more playing time at the major league level this year. But also, waiting in the wings, maybe in the not-so-distant future, Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez, two guys who are doing their best to you know open some eyes here at spring training, their very first major league camp. I think if, if all breaks right for the Mariners in this rebuild process, your everyday outfield becomes Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, and Kyle Lewis, some combination of those three guys who knows where they're playing left, center, right. And you kind of wonder, like, where does Mitch Haniger fit into all of this right now? And maybe he is a part of the Mariners' future. Maybe he's somebody they do give an extension to if he can show that he can stay healthy. But right now, I think Haniger's injury could be beneficial for the Mariners, not just in the immediacy to get playing time for these guys, but if you don't have him in your lineup, the Mariners – Draft pick in 21 could be a little bit better than it would be if you got a full season out of Haniger, where you know there's a lot of top-end talent available, not just in this year's draft, but in the 21 draft. 
I specifically look at Kumar Rocker, the mm. Vanderbilt starting pitcher. Who, I mean, they don't have a shot at him, right? I don't know. I mean, I, is he going to go first overall? I think so. Yeah. Which means the Mariners would have to be incredibly bad this year because so Detroit and Baltimore, they haven't made any progress. Kansas City in the American League is really bad. Chicago is going to be better this year in the American mm-hmm. League. Um, but you got the Marlins in the National League. They're not good. You know, there there are a lot. Pittsburgh. Where the Royals will yeah. be at this year, I'm not sure. So there's going to be a lot of competition for Kumar Rocker's services. But if if he ever ended up in a Mariners uniform, wouldn't hate it. Yeah, I would be all about it. And a quick note too, though, Sam Carlson. Yeah, at spring training making his return. And, and you want to talk about a pretty high draft pick, or at least up there, that was a significant investment. Whenever you invest in a high school arm. That's one of the riskiest plays mm-hmm. that you can make, but uh, it was a welcome sight to see him back and tweeting about and writing on Instagram about like being back. 900 days between Ugh, the time so he brutal. faced live batters. Mm-hmm. I mean, being drafted, I think, is 17 or 18 year old and now 21. So, yeah, just what a what a journey he's been on uh, through his rehab process. I I highly suggest everybody read the arm out there if you haven't read Jeff Passan's book because it it follows some of the players who have gone through Tommy John and dealt with that process of it's you almost go mad yeah and insane on the days when you can't do anything and you just have to be patient. Your whole life's been about playing baseball every single day in a almost You're maddening way. Forced to be stationary. Yeah, and you can't do it. Which months. I also, again, feel for Mitch Haniger right now and everything he's been through because he spoke with the media this week and he said his rehab right now is just walking. Ugh. It's walking. That's what he's allowed to do. So thoughts are with Mitch. Obviously want the best for him to get back out on the baseball field uh, to play the game he loves because, man, he's been through the ringer here. Yeah, here's what Haniger had to say this week about just how frustrating these injuries have been. Kick yourself, you think, you know, what could have been done differently, but at the end of the day, I had, uh, leading up to the surgeries, I had a really good offseason, and, you know, I kind of, talking to my wife and trainers and the guys here, I was like, look, man, like, I was killing it this offseason with a herniated disc and a torn adductor and not knowing it, and putting up some really good numbers, so the way I choose to look at it is like, you know, what what am I going to be capable of when I'm actually healthy ever the optimist Mitch I love it you have to be optimist in those situations so you you gotta baseball is a game that if you get negative about yourself it will eat you alive because the game is is entirely negative Mm -hmm. if you succeed two and a half to three times out of ten you're an Mm all-star like (laughs) if any other job had that kind of requirement I mean it'd be insane so yeah, I mean, you got to have that kind of mindset if you're going to bounce back from this kind of injury. And hopefully Hanniger will see him at, out there at some point in 2020. And we back, bounce back from this rain. Yeah, we will. We will get the games, uh, hopefully tomorrow, yeah. right? They, they, all, they can't all be raining no. out. That would be insanity. That would be a Noah's Ark situation. <laughs> Let's, it, we don't want that. No. Coming up in the next hour, Rob Manfred Man, he, he's going to be getting some fruit baskets sent his way by Roger Goodell. <laughs> the NFL and the Players Association very close to labor peace, or maybe they're getting further apart. We'll get you the latest on all of that. Also, we'll get you some XFL scores. Big day in college basketball, too. Lots coming your way in the 10 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.